and I'm Olivia. And this is Keeping Tabs, the Princeton Public Library teen podcast. How are you doing today, Olivia? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Molly? I'm doing well. You know, it's fall. We're thriving in this environment. It's the perfect time to read, especially mystery books. They're so atmospheric. And to me, I read them all year round, but in the fall especially, that's where they shine. I agree. I think, honestly, though, sometimes YA doesn't even have the best mystery. Sometimes I turn to, like, almost adult or upper YA. What about you? Yeah, I totally agree. I love a lot of teen mysteries, but when I need something that's going to be a little bit scarier, a little bit more risque than would be appropriate for a teen thriller, that's when I turn to adults. And I feel like thriller is a genre that has a lot of crossover appeal. A lot of the characters in thrillers are in their mid-20s, so pretty young, pretty they're literally young adults instead of young adults meaning teens so I definitely I really enjoy adult thrillers I'm I'm with you on that one is there an author in specific you like well I love Riley Sager he writes these phenomenal thrillers and they usually have this very sinister well-maintained atmosphere and the mystery is so complicated. And what I love is they feature a small amount of characters, but you still don't know who did it until the very end. And for me, that's something that happens very rarely. But I'd say he's top tier, like God level thriller writer. Wow, that is a lot of praise for an author. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because we happen to be talking with Riley Sager today on the podcast. Oh my gosh, this is a shock to me, you know? So this is a really fun, really, it's going to be a really fun interview, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Riley Sager, who is an international New York Times bestselling author of Final Girls, his latest book, Home Before Dark, and then my personal favorite, The Last Time I Lied, He's a literary genius. I mean, his books are just masterpieces. I've read every single one of his books. They're phenomenal. Every single aspect of his books is just perfectly crafted. And he's a mystery thriller writer. He's, to me, they're all classics. All of his books should be read by everybody. Do you want to introduce yourself? Say anything about yourself before we start? Um, no, except for the, uh, the, the literary genius part. You guys probably saw me giggle when you said that <laughs> it's <laughs> it's true it's true no, Weird. it's a fact no, it's no. <laughs> yes it is our very first question for you is that all of your books have very strong female protagonists so are there any strong female influences in your life and how have they shaped you um well yeah all my books do have strong female protagonists and um i think it just stems from you know as a kid you know as a teenager during my formative years you know i had a lot of strong female friends and they weren't afraid to tell me when i would say something stupid <laughs> and they weren't afraid to to correct me and I, I learned a lot from them and i learned a lot from my older sister and it just you know when i entered the working world i was in journalism for 20 years and there were just so many smart, tough women in that field. And it just, and, and in publishing, like publishing is just full of smart, tough 
kind, wonderful women. And so it just, yeah, I've had a lot of examples throughout my lifetime. Um, going that, are there specific characters that are shaped by specific women in your life? Like you mentioned your sister, is she a specific character in one of your books? Um, no, my, my characters really aren't based on anyone. Um, there might be some traits of people like in them and ask me like, oh, someone who might have had a shared a similar trait with Emma and last time I lied. I probably wouldn't be able to do it. Oh, wait, no, I would. My aunt. <laughs> my, my aunt, um, she's passed away now, but she was an artist. And um, she painted very abstract, strange things, sort of like along the lines of what Emma would paint. So that was sort of a little homage to my aunt. That's amazing. As someone who wants to go into the writing, publishing industry, it's very inspiring to hear that there are a lot of empowering women in that industry. And I can't, the fact that you based it off of your aunt, that's really touching. Yeah, I mean, she was a very cool lady and it was very sad when she, she passed away, but she, there's a, I mentioned when Emma leaves for camp, she sublets her apartment to this woman who like paints with melted wax. That's what my aunt painted with. Oh and when my, my editor wanted me to cut it just for like, you know, pacing reasons, I was like, no, that has to stay. I'm sorry. It's staying in there. I'm glad it stayed. I'm really glad it stayed. Our next question is based off of you. So you write under a pseudonym for our listeners who might not know that. But what led you to write under a pseudonym? I get this question a lot. And it's really difficult to talk about because it's just so complex. Basically, the short answer is publishing is very weird. Um, I, Final Girls, which was the first Riley Sager book, was actually my fifth published book. And my previous books just, they didn't sell at all. Like, at all. <laughs> and it just, publishing, you know, there's a lot of people writing books not a lot of money to promote them. Um, the books you see on the bestseller list, it's just a fraction of books that come out each year and it's very hard to get noticed. And so I wrote Final Girls really at this crossroads in my life. Like I had been laid off from my newspaper job. I had been dropped by my previous publisher. So I, I didn't even know if I was going to continue writing. And it was just a matter of, gosh, I don't know what to do with my life. And I need to figure out something. And I came up with the idea for Final Girls. And I wrote it very quickly. My literary agent read it and said, this is the best thing you've ever written. This is amazing. This could be a breakout book. You need to release it under a pen name. And I was like, why? This makes no sense. And she, she was very blunt about it. She said, you know, publishing, you're only as good as your past sales. And so if we send this out, no matter, an editor will look at it, they'll read it, and then they'll go to your previous sales and they'll treat it the same as, you know, your previous books did. And this book will not get the attention it deserves. And it was a really tough decision to make, but I knew she was right. And so I said, okay, we'll do, we'll do a pen name. And it, it got to the point where it was so like cloak and daggerish, like, um, 
They submitted it to editors for wanted the book, but she still wouldn't tell them my real name. So I had conversations on the phone with editors who didn't know my real name and they were calling me Riley and it was just so bizarre. And so that it was, they had to bid on it blind. So like they had to bid based on what they thought the book would do and how well it would do. And so there was none of my past baggage to go along with it under my, my real name. And it, it, it worked out quite well, I have to say. That must have been, I mean, a jump to switch to a pseudonym. Is there any particular significance to your pseudonym? Did you choose it for a specific reason? Well, my, my editor, my, sorry, my agent suggested doing something gender neutral. And I did get some flack for that later once Final Girls came out, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but it was, she said something gender neutral and you know, I, I was trying to just come up with something. She said, maybe think of an old family name. So Sager is my grandmother's maiden name. And Riley came about, I was going to initially use initials. And I was going to use, um, my, my parents' names are Ray and Linda. So I was going to be like, oh, RL. And then like, after like a minute, I was like, yeah, R.L. Stein sort of has that whole thing taken over. So that's not going to happen. And so I'm like, Riley, that that's gender neutral. That sort of honors my parents with their initials, kind of. And so that's that's how Riley Sager was born. Our next question is, what is your proudest moment as a writer? That would definitely have to be... Um, when Stephen King read Final Girls and then tweeted about it. And that was just something that I never, ever, ever dreamed would happen. Like, I just, I, it was not even, I didn't even, I don't, I still, to this day, don't know how he got a copy of the book so early, because it was six months before the book even came out. So I didn't know he had a copy. I didn't know he was reading it. All I know it was after Christmas, and I was in Pennsylvania visiting my family, and I got an email from an author friend of mine, Jennifer Hillier, who's very, very good. She wrote Jar of Hearts and Little Secrets. Um, just an email saying, hey, I just saw Stephen King's tweet. Congrats. And I just went, wait, what? What is happening? And so like, I immediately went to Twitter, and I just... Like, I thought I was seeing things. Like, I don't know if you ever had that experience where you, you literally do not trust your eyes. I'm like, is this happening? Is this really, truly happening? And it just was, yeah, it was, it was mind-blowing. And it just was, I mean, I've been reading him since, God, I think I read my first Stephen King book at, like, 14. So I've been reading him for so long. And I respect him as a writer. I respect him as a human being. And so for him to think that something I wrote was good enough to publicly praise to his millions of followers was crazy. And that single tweet changed my life. Wow. I, it deserves all the praise in the world. Final Girls was such a breakout book to me. It has every marker of a classic book. Stephen King, I'm glad he has taste. 
because he definitely, you deserve all of the praise that you get, especially from Stephen King. Well, I don't think he's read any of my other books, so I'm still waiting. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, lock every door is really good, Stephen. You might want to tweet about that one. Just saying. Lily um, introduced me to your books, actually, so I hadn't, I, I mean, I guess they kind of fall in, like, the mid, middle between young adult and adult, for me, at least, just because the characters are, especially when I just read The Last Time I Lied, I felt like Emma's teen self was really reflective um, of a teenager. Her teen self was really corresponding to me, and I was able to relate. And then her adult self still kind of had that youth in it. And I also just wanted to talk about, so we're a podcast for teens, um, and I know most of your books are, like I mentioned, on that cusp, but for aspiring teen authors, is there any piece of advice you would have, or even just, like, thinking back on yourself when you were a teen? I don't know if being an author was your dream, but what would you have told yourself as a piece of advice? Well, first off, like, to talk about, like, yeah, I, this was not intentional, but, like, I do write like this someone said like I'm a genre unto myself where like I'm thriller but I'm also horror and I'm adult but I'm also YA and like none of this was intentional but it just like all my books sort of seem to be like at this in the middle of this weird intersection of like different things and like, again, not intentional, but I think it's, like, really benefited me because, like, I can't really name a whole lot of authors out there who are doing something similar. And so, like, I always still sort of try to stick in that weird place that I'm at. Um, as far as advice for teens, I, I guess I always did want to be a writer. Like, I was a big reader. Like, it was so... I was... <laughs> I was, was that who like on Friday nights when everyone else was like at the football game, I was home like reading something <laughs> and, and it wasn't because like people didn't want me to go to the football game. It was just like, nah, I'm good. I just want to stay here and finish my book. You guys all have fun. So yeah, I was that person. And, um, so I, I, I always read a lot and just at some point it, mutated into wanting to tell the stories as well as consume the stories. Um, so my advice is um, to really, well, first read a lot from all different genres. Like it, it's very good to hear from all types of voices and all types of stories, but also, you know, to, you have to really work at it. Like it's publishing is very, very difficult to, um, get even a tiny foothold in. Um, I mentioned earlier that Final Girls was the book I had published. It was actually the eighth book I actually wrote. So there's like unpublished books out there. I don't even, they're lost now. Like I, like I don't even have like a printed copy in a drawer somewhere. They were on a floppy disk that are now like in a box somewhere. So it, it really is, you just have to keep writing and know that maybe the first thing you write isn't ready enough to be published and that doesn't mean you're bad it just doesn't mean that you haven't learned everything you need to learn and it is like a learning experience it's like i still am learning every day 
and I still would like to be a better writer than I am. So it is just a constant state of education and reading and try not to be so hard on yourself when you get rejected, because that's a, another thing. You will get rejected a lot. Like, and I mean a lot. My, my story was, because you, you need an agent to get published nowadays, really. And I was rejected by 110 agents before the agent I have now um, decided to, to represent me. And so it just like, it's, it's weird because Riley Sager was an overnight success. Like Final Girls was bam, out of the gate, huge. But to get to that point was 20 years of writing things that were never published, being rejected, um, rewriting, just, it was all, it was all a learning process. So it, it could take a very long time, but you just have to have faith in yourself and your abilities and the story that you want to tell and just keep at it. That's very inspiring. And I'm glad that we have the reading instead of going out thing in common. I'm glad that it's, it's not just me. It's not just Olivia. It's, it's you as well. Right. I think it's a lot of us, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. I think a lot of people are just a little bit shy about it. They don't want to talk about it. But we all know. We all know that it's better to stay inside than to go outside. Especially now, yes. Oh, yeah, definitely, especially now. Most of your books take place in the woods, usually where there's like a cabin or in Home Before Dark, there's an old house in the woods. So are what elements about those environments inspire you and why do you choose to set your stories there predominantly? Well, I, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania and we, weren't, we didn't actually live in town. We were miles outside of town. And there were, you know, some houses on the same road as us but we were surrounded by fields on all four sides. <laughs> and then, you know, beyond the fields, it was woods. And as a kid, I had a really big imagination and I frightened myself a lot by thinking about what's out there. Like, especially at night, like I, as a kid, I had such trouble falling asleep. So I'd be awake until like midnight, you know, just like listening. And I would hear like maybe a twig snap outside. And my first thing would be like, what is outside my window? What, what psycho killer is waiting there for me? And, and so that just has always been sort of a part of my thinking. And so that sort of has bled into my writing. And also it's just, from a standpoint, you know, I write books that are suspenseful and it's a really good way to generate suspense is to have a person or a set of characters really isolated from everything else because getting help is not that easy and, you know, running away isn't that easy. And so that's why most of my things have been set in these very isolated places. And so with something like Lock Every Door, the challenge for me, and I, I, before I started writing it, I set myself this challenge. Okay, you're not going to be in the woods. How are you going to keep her isolated? And so that's why there were all these rules at the Bartholomew and why Jules, like, 
she didn't have the money to escape. And so it was just sort of keeping her in this isolated place that just happened to be in the middle of a massive city. And I think what's really interesting about that is kind of how you craft the plot around the setting, which is something kind of new to me. And I also, I'm not a huge fan of horror and thriller movies, especially just because I'm always waiting for that jump scare. And then I'll be like, oh, nothing bad's going to happen. And then the second it happens, I freak out. But I really liked how um, The Last Time I Lied kind of wove in suspense, but in a way that just, I wasn't necessarily scared, but I had like an eerie feeling. I don't know if that resonates with you, Lily, but it just, and I did get scared at some points, but the entire book just had a feel to it that made me kind of get goosebumps and like wonder what was going to happen and give me that sense of anticipation. But it wasn't, and I still visualized it, but it wasn't to the point where I'm like, I need to shut this book. I'm so scared. <laughs> Many of your books are on female characters. And I'm guessing that it's, I don't know how it is writing from the female perspective, but I'm guessing it might be a little hard. And I'm wondering, what's the hardest thing about writing from a perspective of a female? Well, it's actually, well, for, like, it was all a happy accident. Like, I... It, it, it started with Final Girls, and that's because the horror movie trope is the final girl. And I always joke that if the trope had been horror, you know, final boys, like, my career would be very, very different. So it, it really started from that. I just, I knew I wanted to write a story about the survivor of a horror movie, and so that was Quincy, and that was the final girls. And other than that, I really didn't think in terms of her, you know, gender. Like, I didn't think, oh, I'm writing this young woman who's like 20 years younger than me. It was more like I'm writing character. And so I always, that's my main focus. It's, it's not what would a woman do in this situation? It's what would this particular character do based on what she's experienced in her past and based on her home life and based on her fears and... So that's where, it, you know, my focus is. And so I don't find it difficult to write women characters because I see them as characters. And you can tell, like, not every, you know, there's, there are many wonderful male authors right there who make, you know, write wonderful female characters. But you can tell sometimes when they just don't get it. Where, and you can tell, like, they're treating them like, oh, they're thinking, oh, this is what a woman would do in this situation and not what would this specific character do in this situation. And there are, you know, I think entire podcasts about, like, <laughs> madly. And I hope I never appear or mention on that podcast because I, I, I try my best. Um, so that's really where I come from with each character. Um, if I get something wrong, I have... You know, one of my closest friends, I've known her since high school, she reads everything I write before I send it to my editor. Um, so she'll correct me on things. Then my editor and my agent, both women, will do the same thing. Um, the copy editors who are women will do the same thing. So I, I do have like a big backup system that will help, you know, there've been a couple instances where I just, you know, wrote something stupid. It'd be like, no woman would ever do that. Stop it. 
And so I, you know, never make that mistake again. I think that you definitely do a very good job capturing fear because your female characters are afraid without making them seem like they're weak or they're damsels in distress because they're very much in power in their stories. They can run away from the killer. They can fight the killer. They're investigating by themselves. I think you do a good job balancing out like the main women characters being afraid with them not being weak. And I think that's very, very hard to do. Even for women, it's hard to do. One of my favorite things about your books, there's almost this indescribable way that you intertwine the characters and the setting and the plot because the setting kind of will influence the character or the character just suits that particular setting very well. Um, and then you add the plot and it's almost as if the characters couldn't be in a different setting. They couldn't, there couldn't be a different plot for this character or vice versa. Like everything just is intertwined together in this indescribable, deliberate, intricate way. So I was just wondering if, I mean, like, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you establish such an incredible plot, such unforgettable, specific characters, and also weave in a setting around all of those different elements? Well, first, thank you. That's so nice. <laughs> um, I, I usually start with plot, just like the, the basic idea of something. And, you know, it's like to, to give you uh, an example, like Lock Every Door, I just, I wanted, I love the book and the movie Rosemary's Baby. And I wanted to do something similar from the standpoint of, okay, young woman in this big old building in Manhattan and you cannot trust the neighbors. So that's all I knew from the, just like, I want to do a new version of Rosemary's Baby. And then it becomes, okay, let's think of, let's, let's talk about this building because it has to be really, it has to be a character. And I think of all my settings, you know, the Bartholomew is such a character and plays such an importance in that book. And so it was me trying to figure out, okay, where is the Bartholomew? Um, what does it look like? What's its history? And then it starts, okay, who is the best person to sort of put through the ringer, so to speak, of my plot? And I think, sometimes I think I like my characters too much in that I'm, I'm, a, I'm really afraid to, I, I put them through a lot of stuff, but I, I, I'm never, like, I don't think I'd ever kill one of my main characters, but I don't know, it's, I'm, I'm just babbling here now, but... Like, I think I like them too much to really go full on, like put them through some really horrible stuff or give them like a really unhappy ending. And some writers like, they just like, oh, you have to do what you have to do. You know, like, I don't know. I'm going to spoil Hannibal for you if you have not the sequel to Size of the Lamb. Clearly Starling, you know, like hooks up with Hannibal Lecter and eats brains. And like, that was such a betrayal of that character to me. So I, I do really hold such a deep, profound love and respect for my characters. So then it becomes a matter of like, okay, how much do I want to put them through? You know, how strong are they going to be? And I never want any reader to finish one of my books and go, oh, that Quincy was stupid. Why didn't this? Or why didn't Maggie just leave that haunted house? That her... So it's trying to think of ways to make them do what they do and have it make sense. You might not agree with it, you might not do the same thing if you were in that situation, but does it make sense for them? And so that's something I really try to be cognizant of when I'm writing. And so it just, I outline a lot. Like 
more than I probably should, like a lot. And that's where, you know, you start to put things together like, oh, this character, you know, stays here because she can't afford to go anywhere else. And Ingrid reminded Jules of her sister who's missing. And so that's why she stays at the Bartholomew and why she decided. And so it just in the outlining process, like the connections all become more clear. And so I think that really pays what writing. I really tried that there is like cause and effect to everything. Like they do this because of this and it affects this and not leave it up to, oh, they just do this because they're stupid or, oh, they're just put in danger because the plot necessitates it, things like that. I am a very, very critical reader and I have never once questioned pretty much any of your characters' decisions. I also just think it's precious that you care for your characters. You can really tell that they're all good people inherently, even if that's not blatantly spoken. Like, I feel like every average person would just kind of have some form of caring towards all of your characters. And I also think that speaks to that you're just an inherently good person. No, I'm, I'm a sociopath. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but it, it really is like, I don't like to read books where I don't care a thing about any of them. And I know some people don't mind that. And there are some authors who will give you great twists that you will never see coming and characters that you don't care if they live or die or, you know, why they're doing what they do. You just want like, oh, I didn't see this coming, so I'm, I'm good. And I don't blame for wanting that. I, you know, judge the authors who write them. That's just not the way I work. And I think part of it comes from the editing process. My editor is very good and she demands that there's a reason for everything and she doesn't tell me the reason like she used a great example um quincy and her shoplifting and final girls i just i came up with that because i thought yeah she's so messed up in so many ways i could see that she would want to shoplift just because well the just because wasn't good enough for my editor she said no you have to say why there has to be a reason so logically why and I'm like, well, what is that reason? She's like, that's not my job. That's your job. And it, it makes me so mad sometimes because I just like, just tell me what to do, dang it. But um, so I really do have to sit and think about these characters and like, in, you know, in Final Girls, Quincy shoplifts shiny things that she can see herself in because she wants validation that yes, she still exists when, you know, all her friends do not anymore because of what happened at Pine Cottage. And once I came up with that, I was like, yeah, that really works. That says a lot about Quincy. So it, it is like, it is, you know, part of the result of like having a tough editor who was like, you must really, really think about these characters. And I think it shows in the, the end results of the book. No, no, it really, and it's those tiny little details that to me just make your book stand out and really push to the next level. And I think that's something that all authors should maybe not strive to do, but could think about including just having the why in a book. I I guess for me as a reader, like you mentioned, it's it's hard to care about a character when you don't know their background. But the way you integrate the background, it doesn't make me want to change it. It makes me think, okay, this makes sense. And I like that. And now I feel for this character even more. We know you have, as you mentioned, another book in the works. Do you want to give us any information about it? Or is there anything you're allowed to say? I can't. Although, I mean, I don't know when this is airing, 
Well, I'm going to be announcing the title of my next book today on Instagram, so... <gasps> oh my goodness, I'm going to stalk your Instagram after this. Oh my goodness, unless you can so, tell us now, but no pressure. <laughs> you cannot tell anyone. We won't, we won't. We'll just plug our ears. For the next... I do it at 5 o'clock, so for like okay. the next three hours. Stay survive the night. <gasps> oh my gosh! I, I want to know everything I, about it. Okay, all, all I'll say is, like, because I've said this before, like, it's a girl, a killer, a car. I'm I'm captivated. I I need to get my hands on it. I have to read this. And I've I've seen the cover, and it is amazing. It might be my well, no, Final Girls might always be my favorite cover, but I don't know. Like I think this one's this. It's very different from my other covers, but it just it looks so cool. I was so excited when I saw it. I'm. Oh my goodness, this whole next year is going to be agony that it's not out right now and I can't have my hands on it. Survive the Night, what a genius title. Oh my goodness, I can already tell it's going to be phenomenal, as always. hope so, I hope it's very, like, I will say that. It's, it, there's, it's very different, and that's intentional. Like, after, with, with Home Before Dark, that was kind of my, I think all things had been leading to Home Before Dark in terms of, you know, spooky things and big houses in the middle of nowhere and, you know, locations that are characters and flashbacks. Like all my books have had flashbacks sort of in some form or another. And this was, you know, like instead of flashbacks, I'm just going to put two books in one. That's what you're getting, two books in one. So for my next book, I just wanted to do something very, very different. Just no flashbacks. You know, most of it takes place in a car. So it's it's not, so it, it is, it's very, um, it was a, a an exercise in, tr in trying to do things very, very differently than what I've done before. But I, I really hope that people will really like it. I'm so excited to try it out. I am. And you're a master of doing things differently. Even though this is what you've been doing, you still, like you said, you do many different genres, many different crossover appeals in your books. So I think different is definitely a good, a good theme for you. Well, I think people would love a sequel to one of my books, and I just don't think I would ever do it because I don't really want to repeat myself. And, like, that's that's something that, you know, some writers, like, they have their thing that they do, and they do it really well, and they do a variation of it again and again and again. And readers love it, and, you know, I'm sure it's, 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 it's fine for the author, but, like, I just don't want to get bored. And I get bored super easily. And writing a book takes a lot of time. <laughs> and so, like, I, I, I never want to be, like, this person, like, oh, I'm so bored writing this book that I have to write. Like, I want to be excited by the idea and the plot and the characters as I'm writing it. So that's why everything, thematically, I think they all share similarities, and character-wise, they share similarities. But they're all very different books. I'm also someone who gets very bored very easily, and I don't really pick up a lot of authors' books, but I've picked up every single one of your books. That Who's is... the other author? The other author? Ooh, <laughs> let me think. I, I know there's another author. I just need to think about who. Maybe maybe it's just you. It really might be just you. Wow, gosh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're our very first guest on the podcast. This just sets the tone. Truly, thank you. This is a dream come true for me. No, thanks for having me. And I'm like so cool. Like, little known fact, like I work at the Bridgewater Public Library in the, the kids and teens section while I was writing Final Girls. And wow. I loved it so much that I was making plans to go back to school for library sciences if Final Girls didn't happen. And 
happen. <laughs> and so, like I, I say, you know, like the the world lost a librarian, but it gained a thriller writer. So that's it's it's a fair trade off, I think. You can always like retire as a librarian or something. Well, I tried to volunteer there again after I left, and they said adults can't volunteer in the teen and kids section. Only teens can volunteer in the teen section. And I'm like. But I worked there. You paid me. I'm asking to do what you paid me to do for free. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. Like, rules were rules. I'm like, well, that sucks. That's so upsetting. You should see if you should volunteer at the, at the Princeton Library. Well, that's where I had my first photo shoot at, like, ever. The Wall Street Journal. I was in an article. It was, like, a couple weeks before Final Girls came out. Um, and they were doing an article about male authors who write under gender-neutral names. And so they set up a photo shoot. <laughs> so I, I had my picture taken like throughout like the Princeton Public Library. And it was so weird, so weird because like the patron's still there. So like I'm in a room like and our patron's like just right there. It was so embarrassing, so weird. I love that, I love that. Um, but where can our listeners find you for people who are like, oh my God, I need to go read Riley Sager right now. Um, the website is RileySagerBooks.com. And I am on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And they all have different handles because there are multiple Riley Sagers out there. And so they took the good ones. So my, I think like, and I can never remember, I think my Instagram is like Riley.Sager. And my Twitter is like Riley underscore Sager. Like I had to do like the little tricky thing for all of them. But there, there are links to all of them on the website, Riley Sager Books. Well, thank you again so much. This is amazing. And we're so, so excited be able to bring this episode out for everyone to see no thank you guys and, and remember until five o'clock such a surreal experience i'm shaking did you have a favorite comment that he made or a question that he answered Ooh, i really like that right off the bat he had a really cool answer for who his strong female influences were, I figured he might go with the classic, oh, it was my mom, which is a great answer, but he elaborated that there were so many strong female figures. Okay, well, it wouldn't be a classic Keeping Tabs episode if we didn't include our book recommendations. So Lily, what is your thriller to start us off? I'm so excited to talk about this book, as I always am. The thriller I'm recommending is Neverworld Wake by Marisha Pessel, and it follows this girl Beatrice whose ex-boyfriend died, and he's her ex-boyfriend because he died, <laughs> I mean, kind of dark, but, and so their friend group kind of got torn apart when he died because he was the ringleader, and now all everybody else in their friend group has finished their freshman year of college and they come together for one final awkward party and they're kind of realizing this friendship isn't working, they don't really like each other. And then they get a knock on the door and this man says, you've all died. And you unanimously have to decide one person who can come out and who can live. And until you guys all unanimously decide on that one person, you will be reliving the same day over and over and over again. And during this time, they obviously can't agree, so they decide to just figure out what happened to the boyfriend because his death wasn't exactly an accident. The characters develop so much over the course of the story in such subtle ways that you don't realize it until you finish the book and you're crying, if you're me, and you're looking back on how everything started and how it all ended. It means so much to me. It changed my life. I read it during a time when I really needed to read it, and then... 
over the same day that I finished the book, I got to meet Marisha Pestle and tell her how much she meant to me. Fantastic book. So please pick it up. I was about to say I will, but then I remembered that you had me read it, I think a month or two ago. And I wasn't sure because the cover was, I don't know, just interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And I don't know, I'm not really in the mood for fantasy. And I picked it up and I tried it and everything you just said totally resonates. Okay, well, my rec is another teen thriller, and it follows a 17-year-old girl named Cassie who is recruited by the FBI for criminal profiling. And the FBI has this teenage group where a bunch of other teenagers have special talents, and they go on to solve different homicides. And, you know, there's your classic love triangle to spice things up a bit. I am a huge fan of, you know, Criminal Minds and Bones and all those other good TV shows out there. And it kind of was like a teen version of that. So that really made me happy to see because I think in YA, there's a lot of times there are thrillers, but there aren't always things that you kind of can relate to TV and movies. The Naturals is a very cool book. I read the first couple hundred pages or maybe just the first hundred pages with my mom and she got too scared and she didn't like it because I think some aspect of the book deals with serial killers and she doesn't mess with that even in books but I've been wanting to finish reading it for the longest time it's I think isn't there like chapters interspersed that are told in second person to like you yes there are I don't know why I forgot to mention that but it is a very interesting read because there are those chapters and you almost feel like you're involved in the murder so it gets a little creepy at some point so definitely that thriller aspect is spot on and there are a couple different homicides that have to be solved throughout the series that was our Riley Sager interview and our book recs to go along with that It's going to be the start of a lot of amazing interviews, so you guys should stick around if you liked what you heard here, which you should have because Riley Sager is prolific and he's a genius. Anything else you want to add? No, just keep on listening. 